At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Nancy Pelosi is about as popular as a hernia. Reviled for her let-them-eat-cake arrogance, 60% of voters want the speaker gone. Members of the progressive squad snipe at her imperiousness. Other Democrats blame her for chronic legislative failures and a lack of leadership that has doomed the party's control of the House come November. But nobody puts baby in a corner. Nancy pirouettes in front of cameras while clinging to power with a vice grip. Politico quipped that she rules with an iron fist in a Gucci glove, which invites the question, who pays for all that Gucci? It ain't cheap. More to the point, how is it that Nancy Pelosi keeps getting richer while Americans are getting poorer? The answer is hiding in plain sight. It's The perks of power when you're the Speaker of the House. Exploiting it to accumulate personal wealth accompanies the job. It's Nan's version of dirty dancing. Pelosi's husband bought millions of dollars worth of stock in a computer chip company in advance of a congressional vote to boost the manufacturing of domestic semiconductors. That's right. $52 billion of your taxpayer money is slated to support an industry that will invariably enrich Nancy and her hubby's already burgeoning bank account. It's not the first time. Paul Pelosi, by virtue of his marriage to the most powerful person in Congress, has long had special access to confidential intelligence and what can only be described as insider information at the top. Over the last couple of years, he's been ratcheting up a tsunami of stock trades in tech companies over which his wife has considerable influence. His latest ploy was NVIDIA Corporation, which operates high-performance computing on a chips system. The Pelosi duo have a net worth estimated at somewhere around 135 million dollars in growing, although the exact figure is hard to ascertain. But isn't it amazing how they have this uncanny knack of outperforming the stock market? Wait, maybe it's not amazing at all. Perhaps they've simply mastered a scheme to profit from the reins of power. Sure looks like it. Maybe that's how Nancy Pelosi became one of the richest members of Congress. The Speaker sets the congressional agenda for federal policy that directly impacts both Wall Street and big tech. She holds regulatory influence over companies in which she and her husband invest. Legislation gets passed that can and does stimulate market forces. And all the while, it appears that Paul Pelosi has been trading on those forces with remarkable success, buying and selling Alphabet, also known as Google, 
Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Micron Technology, PayPal Holdings, Roblox, Salesforce.com, Slack Technologies, Tesla, Visa, American Express, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Disney. Paul's favorite bullish play is a mechanism known as call options. It gives the buyer the right, but not the obligation, to buy a stock at a specified price when the asset increases. Anyone who has knowledge about imminent policy or regulatory changes that may drive up values can make a killing financially. It's a nifty trick, especially if you have a unique advantage. Some members of Congress have expressed outrage. Pelosi infamously responded by gloating, quote, we are a free market economy. Translated, it means screw you, I'll do as I please. Later, under pressure, she softened her rhetoric and suggested she might back a bill to restrict members and their spouses from trading stocks. It was all a charade because a funny thing happened. The legislation got buried. It's one hell of a coincidence. I wonder how that occurred. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. When you think about it, it's no wonder that Nancy Pelosi is cashing in. She knows her days are numbered. She's finished. She may as well pack up the gold monogram boxes and vacate her lush speaker's office with that prime view. A reckoning awaits Nancy and her House Democrats in the upcoming midterms. Americans are viscerally angry over inflation and the sinking economy, as well they should be. Pelosi played a pivotal role. She pushed Biden to declare war on America's energy industry, driving up the cost of everything to a 40-year high. She rammed Joe's extravagant spending plan through the House, which only made matters worse. Throughout it all, Pelosi's indifference and hubris has been breathtaking. There was Nan frolicking at a ritzy Italian seaside resort and strolling in the Mediterranean surf while her constituents back home struggled to buy groceries or pay for a few gallons of gasoline. Woe to the little folks. She insisted, quote, the American people have said they have a comfort level with their economic situation, end of quote. What? Who said that? No one I've ever talked with. During her lavish Italian holiday, Pelosi visited Rome to curry favor with the Pope and have the Vatican elite bless her with Holy Communion during Mass in the VIP section at St. Peter's Basilica. That was Pelosi's punitive slap at the Archbishop of San Francisco, who had banned her from the sacrament because of her stand on abortion. But remember, no one puts baby in a corner. Back home, Pelosi's J6 Kangaroo Committee was given strict orders not to delve into Nancy's own refusal to provide necessary security, even though she was warned that chaos and violence would almost surely occur. Did she want it to happen? 
or was she callously uninterested? Then there was her melodramatic response to the Supreme Court's abortion decision. She stood before the lapdog legacy media and recited a poem. Really. By the way, the same poem she read after January 6th. Maybe she's angling for honorary membership in the American Poetry Society, except it was an Israeli poem. But my favorite Nancy Pelosi incident was the photo op where she's seen shoving aside a GOP member's young daughter. It spoke volumes about Nancy's true character. No one, not even a child, is allowed to invade her rarefied space. So she elbowed the girl away. Scram, kid, get lost. Americans are fed up with what Pelosi has been dishing out. She's the 82-year-old Doyen, who has been leading House Democrats for nearly two decades. Her uber-woke left-wing policies have driven economic life into an abyss of despair. Her unfavorability rating is off the chart, and if the polling data is correct, she'll be vanquished after the midterm elections. Good riddance. Pelosi doesn't give a damn about those who put her in office. She never has. A new study found that San Francisco is among the worst-run cities in the nation. It ranks 149 out of 150. But Nancy's sumptuous home in the Tony Pacific Heights rests well above the squalor and the crime. She rarely stops by to visit the proletariat and hasn't lifted a finger to help solve the rampant violence and blight. She's too busy hobnobbing in Washington and running the country into the ground. Or maybe she's preoccupied with all those stock trades and expanding her immense wealth, as Representative James Comer noted. Uh, This is terrible. This is another bad example of Nancy Pelosi's leadership. And this isn't the first time that uh, her husband did this. He bought stock options ahead of all the big tech hearings. And of course, nothing happened there. So Nancy Pelosi is the ultimate insider. And uh, not only is, is her husband buying stock options on a much higher level than the average member of Congress. Average member of Congress might buy five or six thousand dollars worth of stock. He's buying five hundred thousand dollars worth of stock. He's buying stock options which expire. So uh, to be able to trade stock options profitably, you have to know uh, exactly which direction that stock's going to move and you can make a huge profit. So this is wrong. This is another example of uh, the media turning a blind eye to Nancy Pelosi's bad behavior and unethical behavior. It's true that the mainstream media has paid no attention whatsoever to Pelosi's greed. In much the same way, it has deliberately ignored the Biden family's corruption. But all of that may change if Democrats lose control of Congress in just a few months. House Republicans are vowing to investigate the Hunter Biden influence peddling scandal that almost surely implicates his father. They should also examine Nancy Pelosi's stock grifting scams. But first and foremost, Republicans must put a halt to the Biden agenda of higher taxes and more spending that liberal Democrats want to force down the throats of hardworking Americans who are suffering as a consequence. Our energy spigots need to be turned back on. Those are common sense solutions. Senator Rick Scott of Florida correctly observed that 
Democrats have no plan to fight inflation. We have to balance the budget. This is caused by reckless spending. Uh, we've, we've got to, I mean, every, pro, every proposal Democrats have is spend your money, spend more money. We've got to reduce taxes, reduce fees, reduce, reduce the size of government. We've got to become energy independent. Don't go out to Saudi Arabia and beg money, uh, them for fuel. We go to Texas and ask them to get more uh, fuel. Fix the supply chain. The Biden administration is a bunch of do-nothing people that are all All they do is blame. Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi have elevated the blame game to an art form. It's always someone else's fault. They're deathly allergic to accepting responsibility. Inflation has risen to a four-decade high of 9.1%. In June, energy prices rose 7.5% from the previous month. Gasoline, costs 60% more than a year ago. The food index continues to climb, making consumers pay far more at the grocery store to feed themselves and their families. People can no longer afford everyday necessities. 84% of voters rate the economy as fair or poor. That is what Biden, Pelosi, and Democrats have wrought. Even diehard liberals are beginning to pronounce the demise of the policies they once championed. New York Magazine recently declared the death of Democrats' domestic ambitions, calling it a failure and a catastrophe. They sowed the seeds of their own demise. Voters of color are gravitating away from Democrats, according to a recent poll. The party that once proudly proclaimed that it stood for the interests of working Americans has succeeded only in heaping misery on low and income workers. Their victims have increasingly turned against Democrats and are poised to express their fury at the ballot box in just four short months. You know you've lost the political game when your own wife voices your obituary. In a truly head-scratching speech, Jill Biden recently bemoaned her husband's conspicuous failures, referring to his presidency in the past tense, after only one and a half years. Her remarks were a collection of pathetic excuses. Joe, she said, would have succeeded if only he didn't have to, quote, address the problems of the moment. Seriously, what a moronic thing to say. That's like a surgeon complaining, I could have been a great golfer if only I didn't have to operate so much. If nothing else, Jill has proven to be Joe's intellectual equal. Joining me now to talk about it is Dave Bonson, founder and managing partner of the Bonson Group and author of There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. Dave is consistently named one of the top financial advisors in America by Barron's, Forbes, and the Financial Times. Dave, thanks so much for joining the brief. Let's begin with with Nancy Pelosi. What's your take on her husband's aggressive stock trading in tech companies over which she, Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, has the ability to influence that particular marketplace through policy and regulatory decision-making, you know, to many people, including Democrats, it smacks of profiteering. 
based on confidential or insider information. At the very least, it's highly suspicious. What do you think? Well, I think that as one who is a big advocate of a free market and free enterprise and someone who cares about our capital markets in our country, that I value, if nothing else, the appearance of a level playing field, the appearance of everybody kind of being with the same level of power and and information. And the problem here is not only, as you say, that she can influence policy that affects some of these companies, but that they have information on a macro level before anyone else does. Other congressmen and women have been killed for this over the last several years for just merely trading, not because they cast a vote that impacted the companies positively or negatively, but because they just simply had information as to what may be going on that had a broader impact. We also, of course, know, Greg, of the famous stuff at the Federal Reserve. Two Fed governors in Dallas and in Boston left, and there was no allegation of inside trading about a particular company knowing something about the CEO or something about a big deal happening. It was just that they had macro knowledge of what was going to be happening with interest rates and and economic data, and just the appearance of it was so awful. This strikes me as so easily resolvable. I don't want to tell the House of Representatives they can't own stock. Just have them buy index funds, put it in a blind trust, and enough of this individual company stuff. This is so easy to solve, and it would really help deal with this stuff that looks quite improper. And and when she was challenged that it looked improper and may have been improper, uh, her response was was head-scratching, given her history. She said, quote, we are a free market economy. What do you think of that? Yes, well, I was really encouraged to hear. It kind of reminded me um, at one point when Barbara Boxer, the former senator in California, went after my friend Father Sirico, a Catholic priest, a conservative, um, saying the Pope has now said climate change is a big deal. And he said to her, well, I assume you're so concerned with what the Pope says. I assume this means you're now pro-life and pro-marriage and things. So these, these people are just so selective and when they want to throw this stuff out, around. And Nancy Pelosi talking about free and open markets is rich because, of course, she has opposed uh, a free and unfettered market her whole career. She is pro-tax, pro-regulation, buys into all the standard class warfare rhetoric. Um, it, look, I believe her husband, uh, if he was not the spouse of the Speaker of the House, if he was not the spouse of a leading congressional legislator, I'm all for people trading and taking risks with their own capital and either being good at it or bad at it, participating in capital markets. I have no problem with what he would be doing in theory as a private citizen, but connected to his wife with that position of power, it just simply cannot be allowed to happen. Yeah. Speaking of bad looks, would you agree it's a bad look and and utterly insensitive for the Speaker of the House to be frolicking at a ritzy seaside resort in Italy while at home Americans are struggling to pay for a few gallons of gas to go to work and, and buy groceries to put food on the table to feed their families and you know, Joe Biden's just as bad every week, it seems. He takes a long weekend for fun and games at his big beach house. All the while, the people he's supposed to be helping 
are suffering terribly from high inflation and an economy that is tanking. And so I want to be fair on it and yet be consistent, which is what you're looking for. Um, Look, all presidents, Republican, Democrat, I'm a movement conservative Republican guy, but the Bush family went to Kenny Bunkport and President Trump had Mar-a-Lago and, and, and Reagan and his ranch. And so that, I think it's fine that presidents have amenities and, and offerings and whatnot. But your point is an important one. It's that they're sitting there saying they're the party for the little guy and that these rich people have undermined and that's why we're having the problems that we're having. So for her to go into this elegant, high-class environment in Italy, which is a privilege that I want anyone to be able to have if they can legally, lawfully, morally afford it. Um, The difference is that she's still a sitting member of the House. It is a bad look politically. And of course, she's also in her 80s. She had every opportunity to just retire and then go enjoy the amenities. That's what her colleague, Senator Harry Reid, did. He was a very wealthy man when he left the Senate, but he left the Senate and then lived this high on the hog life of privilege. I, I wish that they would just be consistent. I don't mind there being wealthy people in government, Republican or Democrat, and I don't mind legislators or presidents, for that matter, getting a little R&R. We all need it, sure. but I just wish they'd be consistent. You know, um, Let's talk about the the broader marketplace. The last quarter, the first quarter, we saw negative growth. If the projections are accurate, the second quarter uh, may be more of the same. And of course, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP generally constitutes a recession. Is that where we are? Well, I'm a little afraid to predict that the second that this next quarter will end up with a negative print, be simply because. Um, there's some technical things in how they measure it. And China was exporting so much less to us because of their ridiculous COVID shutdown. And we were exporting more than we normally do because of oil and gas, that I think that metric in the trade deficit is going to reverse and end up helping the GDP number. Now, it very well could still end up printing negative, And that will be a very bad headline for the White House But the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, that gets to formally call something a recession or not, their definition says two quarters in a row and a contraction in overall economic conditions. And and that's the tricky part is unemployment is still very low. I think you just have a lot of segments of the economy right now that feel like a recession and it feels like things are slowing down. The, fortunately, I mean, look, he inherited a very good economy coming out of the last administration. Uh, unemployment was very low and the recovery was very V-shaped out of COVID. Right. However, um, I think that there is a very good chance we end up going into inflation, even if we don't get one right away. Further into next year, I think it's much more likely. Biden launched his presidency uh, back in January of 2021 with $2 trillion in spending almost immediately, and he kept even more spending. On top of that, of course, he issued orders that made it harder to produce oil and gas domestically, turning the U.S. from energy independence to energy reliant on foreign sources, dirtier, by the way, and more expensive fuel. Aren't Biden's policies to blame for inflation and our economic woes? 
Yeah, so uh, the answer is yes, but I'm going to give you two reasons that I think so, because I don't want to be accused of saying, well, big government spending causes inflation, when quite candidly, we had very big government spending during the Trump years, big government spending during the Bush years. All presidents and, and Congress uh, tends to want to spend a lot of money. Um, my belief is that the problem with his $2 trillion bill that you referred to right when he came into office is that it extended an incentive for people to not go back to work. There was no workfare requirement for people to get this massive subsidy, direct payments, not to mention extended federal unemployment. And so then that exacerbated supply chain problems. People weren't going back to work. FedEx couldn't get drivers. Um, the ports couldn't get workers. And that really helped exacerbate a big inflationary problem with supply. But by far his biggest sin is energy. That is something that's impossible to not blame policy. And it's not just Biden. It's even the whole left with this ESG movement going back five, seven years. They've tried to terrorize energy companies for investing. They've tried to tell banks not to give money to invest in new oil and gas capacity and production. There was no effort to go create LNG terminals so we could actually sell natural gas to our partners in Europe and Asia so they wouldn't be in bed with Putin. Um, th those are the real sources of inflation we have now, and I think they are policy failures even apart from the big, ridiculous spending bill. Biden's uh, latest ploy is to take a victory lap because the sky-high gasoline prices have dropped fractionally over the last three to four weeks. There's still $2 more plus per gallon uh, than when he took office and you know declared war on America's energy industry. And his brag completely ignores that Americans are still suffering under this four-decade high inflation rate. It's now at 9.1%. Uh, does it seem to you that Biden is invoking a ludicrous double standard here? Uh, and blatantly so. When prices go up, he has nothing to do with it. When prices go down, it's all his doing. Yes, uh, it is ludicrous. And it's good that people like you in the press will call him out on it. Now, do all politicians try to do it? Uh, maybe. That's what they call it, spin. But this is so intellectually insulting that I think the American people should be mad. Are these oil companies that a month ago were unpatriotic and profiteering um, are, and gouging and this other nonsense, are they now patriots that gas prices have come down a few, a few cents? Um, if it was Putin's blame before? Is Putin now responsible for it coming down? Is Putin back one of our friends again? It, it, it's just ridiculous. Ultimately, um, I believe that President Biden should say, look, we did not encourage U.S. production, and that has led to increased uh, prices because the demand side is not higher. We're not consuming more oil and gas right now than we were in 2019. And yet oil and gas prices are double. The reason is nothing other than that we are producing about a million and a half barrels per day less. There's no reason for it. He should signal to the market that we want this to be a growth sector. We want to employ people and we want to solve our own energy needs. There's all kinds of benefits to that. And American people know it. It's a question of supply. The demand rate remains the same. You don't you don't solve the demand problem by ruining the supply, uh, but, it, but it, 
it seems to me that Biden's actions have actually had very little impact on gasoline prices. Yes, he, he tapped the strategic petroleum reserve, but uh, based on our consumer needs, I mean, that really amounts to just a tiny percentage. What's more, he, he sold millions of barrels of that oil from the strategic reserve to China of all countries. Can anyone really point to something that Joe Biden has done, which honestly demonstrates an impact? No, of course not. It's a big non sequitur. And by the way, the strategic petroleum reserves, he started tapping aggressively in March and gas prices went from 95 to 120. So the idea that they've come from 120 to 105 because of strategic petroleum reserve is untrue. Oil prices are higher now than they were when he started tapping them. But the other issue, and I wrote about in my daily commentary last week, our strategic petroleum reserves are getting very low. They're there as an emergency. They're there for a geopolitical crisis or a national economic crisis. They're not there because a politician gets in trouble for high gas prices. We're down right now to like 2001 levels in our reserves. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a really big problem with what, what he did with the strategic reserves. And if anything, gas prices are down a little bit just because the cure for high prices is high prices. Uh, you, you do have some things that have kind of improved a bit. Um, but no, they're not related to policy. And frankly, um, I, I have a very strong feeling it could reverse the other way. When China reopens, that puts more demand for the commodity. And they've tried, Biden's tried to solve for it by giving our one of our worst enemies on the planet, Iran, new negotiations to come back into the marketplace. Uh, as if Texas and Oklahoma are not the better place to turn than Iran and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, speaking of which, with Biden in the White House for the remaining two and a half years of his term, is there much hope? Uh, there's no indication he intends to reverse course on things like American energy production. Uh, he seems committed to spending and dedicated to blaming everybody else for the mess he's caused. Um, are you pessimistic or optimistic? Oh, I'm very optimistic. And it, yeah, it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It has to do with James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson, because thanks to this separation of powers, that we have in our country, Joe Manchin kept them from spending $5 trillion last year. And now the Republicans will take back the House. I hope they take back the Senate too. I don't know that they will. But once they have the House back, then we're going to get the reason I'm optimistic, which is two years of divided government. Total gridlock, nothing will get done. And thanks to Joe Manchin, the worst things they wanted to do, they didn't do when, when Biden did have a majority. So that's what I'm encouraged about, is that our nation was set up with a lot of wisdom, and and that um, system of government now uh, can allow for some common sense economics to come back into leadership. Hopefully, we have a good president who does what we have seen in the past from presidents like Reagan on the Republican side and Kennedy on the Democrat side. Cut taxes, incentivize production, deregulate, and let's let this economic engine really go. I want to ask you about renewable energy. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm all for renewable green energy. The trouble is you can't just flip a switch. It takes decades of planning and building and investing in the infrastructure to support it. 
that doesn't currently exist to transition away from fossil fuels in the expedited manner that Biden and Democrats and Buttigieg and, and others are demanding. And, and even then, green energy alone won't be sufficient to meet America's energy needs. What's your take? Oh, well, I, I completely agree. And we have the data to back up everything you just said. This movement uh, has been really quite profound and powerful for about 20 years. And yet we still use as much fossil in a, as a percentage of energy production as we did 20 years ago. It's come down like maybe 1%. Um, the great thing we can do is use more natural gas than coal. I accept that natural gas is a much cleaner uh, fuel than, than coal is. And yet the left has tried to demonize even the use of natty gas. Um, I think that the big oil companies that have infrastructure, that have competence, that have capital, they're the ones who should be uh, leading the charge with renewables, and yet we want to demonize Exxon and Chevron when, in fact, they're the ones that have the ability to bring renewables into greater forefront. But look, all the capital and time in the world is not going to change the fact that wind and sun are intermittent and our energy needs are not intermittent. Right. And so if we're not going to go to a nuclear strategy, then we're going to have to accept use of uh, fossil and therefore find technology and, and good operators and ongoing investment to do it cleaner. The left seems to want to fight logic as much as they want to fight a good uh, environmental policy. Yeah. Final question. You are, uh, Dave, one of the country's top financial advisors. So what are you telling your clients? Hold on, it'll get better. Uh, what do you say to them? Well, I uh, am most certainly not here to talk my own book, but we really don't like the idea of indexing and buying the entire market. We tend to focus on individual dividend-growing companies because I do believe in free markets. I do believe in free enterprise. And, and so in a period like this, I think when someone's buying the whole market, they're assuming that the valuations of everything are going to go up. And we don't think that's very likely. So we want to be more selective, be more defensive. Don't go try to speculate on high tech, high flying stocks right now. Buy more fundamentally solid things that are invested in the profit motive. That's the story of human action. And we believe in that long term in America. Dave Bonson, who is the founder, managing partner of the Bonson Group, uh, author of There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths, and one of America's top financial advisors. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time. Great conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening. <music>